Good morning, everyone. So um, what I want to do uh, to start with is I, I mentioned the other day that Lisa and I, for many years, ran some parenting courses that since then other groups and other couples have uh, and other ecclesias have run with using us as a library for the videos. But seeing this session's about teenagers, I thought I'd show you, share with you what compelled Lisa and I to look at parenting closely because we'd use the On Becoming series of books from Kurong that were recommended to us by other parents ahead of us on the journey and we found them really helpful. And one of our friends actually encouraged us to go and investigate the biblical parenting course by the same authors. So these books have all the Bible quotes stripped out. The, the, the parenting course is, um, has all that material in it. So when we made an inquiry, we were invited to a meeting of facilitators to find out some more. So you can imagine the trepidation with which we entered a back hall of a church one Saturday evening with a meal to share. And we were met by a handful of teenagers who took that meal from us and we went to a room full of adults and learnt about some tips about facilitating these courses. <coughs> meal time came, the meals were all heated up and brought out by these teenagers. We ate the meal. At the end of the evening, they met us at the door with a washed, clean dish to take home. And we were just flabbergasted because it wasn't the discussion that we had we'd not but what we saw of those teenagers who were largely unsupervised that convinced us there was something here worth looking into because we didn't have a plan or direction to get our children to be that self-directed that thoughtful and that helpful so we've covered over the uh, week the foundation of God as our Father. And so from what we've looked at from there, the key really to parenting is how we go about utilising these three ingredients in our family. Communication, conscience and consistency. And we started talking about the husband and wife relationship being the, the key, how we communicate to each other in love in front of the children becomes the standard. And our communication to our children needs to be just as respectful. And here's the second one again. We're developing our children's conscience. So we don't bark commands arbitrarily. We seek, as our children develop in age, we seek to transition to training where we're giving the moral reason why and explain the reason behind what we're asking. And so especially as our children grow older, we want them more and more to be motivated by a love of virtue rather than a fear of reproof. We want to give them a reason to do good. And again, it comes back to the fact that far more is caught than taught. So we need to set the standard. But more than that, we need to live the standard, show the standard in controlling our anger, our tongue and our tone. Because, like it or not, the biggest influence on our children is what we do, not what we say. And we're always the adult in the situation. And we need to act like it and lead the way. With soft answers that turn away wrath, with firmness if needed, but with patience, long-suffering and mercy like our Heavenly Father. And everything has to be done in love and trust like Him. 
So with that as a basis, we're actually going to come back to these three principles, commu conscience, communication and consistency um, in the, in, with young adults. But I, I want to just touch base again with the parenting process so you're really clear as to where we're headed with teenagers. And see, the challenging thing is about parenting is that it is a process. It's like a shifting conveyor belt. You know, everything's moving along and gradually changing. So you can't parent an eight-year-old the same way you parent a two-year-old. And it's not appropriate to give the same freedoms to a three-year-old the way you would discuss and negotiate with a 16-year-old. So the point is your children are growing physically, mentally and morally. And so your parental authority becomes less and less of your parenting technique and you transition over to parenting more by influence. And it's not a switch where one day at age 11 you flick this switch and suddenly there's a whole different soundtrack to life. It's a gradual transition and it's very much based on the development of your child. So some children have more freedoms and responsibilities in some areas than, than others because they've proved themselves trustworthy and reliable. So think about this verse again. We've touched base with Deuteronomy 6 many times, but think about it with the emphasis this time on transitioning authority. So to, t to start with, all God's principles are in your heart. The child doesn't know any. So you're the authority based on God's principles. You direct them in everything. In fact, if you instill in your child's mind a respect for authority while they're young, it ceases to be an issue. But day in, day out, as you go through the cycle of lying down and rising up, bit by bit, it's not an instant process. Every day as you lie down, rise up and are in the way, a little bit more of what's in your heart is passed on to your child so that their heart starts to guide them. God's principles are still the, the authority, but now they're in your child's heart. And so as your children go older, you rely less on your firmness, but instead place more emphasis on their personal responsibility. And when your children are uh, adults like mine, it's more, more coaching than parenting. So that's the process. And when you've shared everything in your heart and it's made its way and is reflected in their heart, the final result is friendship because you've got a basis for that friendship. So you don't start out making friends with your children. You're an authority first and you achieve friendship through God's principles and their growing understanding and their, their moral understanding and, and direction. And so can I remind you again of Abraham where he was first called to obey God like you would command a young child. And at once he did so, and bit by bit God worked with his heart so that in the end we're told Abraham was a friend of God because he walked with God. But it started with obedience, obeying and leaving earth. And so at this transition at the end with coaching young, young adults is asking them, what do you think you should do? Rather than telling them what they should do. Where you're prompting them to use what's in their heart and by coming alongside and helping them exercise their moral warehouse. And so this challenge of parenting being a moving process reminds me of this quote. 
probably know it well, Proverbs 22, train up the child according to the tenor of his way and when he's old he will not depart from it. And it's a bit of a difficult passage to translate because there's so many variants in the Hebrew to the word way. If you go look at a lexicon, it goes on forever. And I think that's the point. The right way is what's right for the age of that child, their personality footprint, remember, and the stage of life that they're at. And Proverbs is all about the application of wisdom and it takes some godly insight, some prayerful consideration at times to determine what is the right way in this particular circumstance for this particular child to motivate their heart. So I can't emphasise this enough. Your children are growing. You can't be parenting them like a two-year-old for the rest of their, their life. You have to change your approach. And it's not a straight line graph like it's drawn here. You know, you loosen the reins in some areas and then you decide, well, you know, I'm going to tighten up on that a bit. Maybe if they're acting like a two-year-old in that area, in that case, you go back to treating them like a two-year-old for a short while until they've learnt that, and then you'll go, okay, we'll, we'll try that again and loosen the reins a bit more. And, you know, you don't drive a car or sail a boat in a straight line. You're constantly making adjustments for the road conditions or the wind conditions. So we need to be continually adjusting our parenting for the child conditions. And on the other hand, I don't want to make it sound like really complicated and, and, and difficult. It's mostly about finding the godly principle to apply and having the conviction to follow it through consistency. But the point I'm trying to make is it does take effort and consideration. It doesn't just happen, you have to make it happen. So remember, we can't be a drifting lot when it comes to godly parenting. We, we want to get it like, right like Noah did, who achieved a really good result in his family despite living in a really ungodly time. Because the thing we're struggling with all our children and that most people fear in their mind when they think about stereotypical teenagers <coughs> is human nature, raw human nature. And it's in all of us. But society around typifies human nature as teenager behaviour. But we all struggle with selfishness and human nature. You know, we all have it, but suddenly there's a point where as children grow older, suddenly they become more responsible for the battle within themselves. So as a parent to a young child, you direct them in their, their behaviour. But as a young adult, not only do they become more responsible not only for their actions, but also for their attitude, and particularly their attitude toward things that might happen to them. And that's where if you've done the training when they're younger and they've come to accept that they may not always get their own way and that disappointments sometimes occur, then they're far better equipped than the child of a helicopter parent who's always going into battle for them, trying to keep all the disappointments at bay which builds up an unrealistic expectation in the child's mind and then, they can't, then they're unable to deal with the inevitable disappointments ahead of them when things don't always go their own way. So here's something to think about in regard to teenagers. In my experience, there's nothing that suddenly appears as a teenager that wasn't there to begin with. So my appeal is you've actually got the opportunity to deal with it at an age-appropriate time. If you ignore selfish behaviour in a three-year-old, hoping it'll go away and that the child will get better, 
chances are you'll end up with a self, selfish and self-centred 13-year-old. So we need to pay attention as parents to the traits in our that our children exhibit and deal with them appropriately. And remember the other day we talked about being balanced and fair in the context of what character traits we see our children need help with. Yeah, we likely know what they're likely going to struggle with because we struggle with it ourselves and they might share our genetic disposition. So that's the importance of the process. We start helping them when they're younger by calling them to attention the behaviours that concern us so that by the time they're a teenager, we just have to come alongside and coach and encourage the opposite virtue because we've trained them consistently when they're younger on these issues. And like I said, we want them to be motivated by a love of what's good and right, not out of fear of our discipline. So hopefully you've thought about making um, time to discuss your children's strengths and weaknesses and uh, as a result of our talk the other day and maybe you can, as parents, monitor their progress and check in with each other. And maybe new issues pile up on the, the, the next ones, but it's, it's a constant refining of their characters in the same way that God refines ours. But, you know, the, the, the challenge is that children, when they're really young, their behaviour is your responsibility. When they're a teenager, it suddenly becomes their responsibility and that's when people look on them uh, and, and um, uh, judge them. So we need to help them with that transition um, as they grow. So we do that. And this is where I'm just trying to appeal that it's not... You know, parenting's always moving, but it, it's moving in a good way. It's not complex and scary because we actually use that moving and growth to our advantage by creating milestones like ages in your family where you get your first hymn book or Bible or wide margin Bible. So, you know, when you're old enough to stand up to sing the hymns, that's when you get a, a hymn book. So, you know, there's, there's a responsibility that goes with that privilege. And... So what we found is having family milestones at an age that they look forward to being you know, a marker on the way to maturity and development, we also give, look out for ways that we can give responsibilities in their daily life. And like I said the other day, the key is to link a responsibility with a privilege. So for example, little toddlers have to ask to go outside to play. But you know, when you're five, you might be old enough to go outside without asking now. But because you're old enough to go outside by yourself and you don't need to ask, you can take out the compost every morning. Or the next child could do the rubbish and recycle. You know, because you're old enough to use a knife yourself, you can spread your own lunch spread. And children love to be old enough to do things. And the reverse is true. If you give a child a responsibility and that responsibility is clearly linked to a privilege, if they fail to link, live up to that responsibility, you can take the privilege away until they show themselves responsible. So your child's not always going to be pleased, but you'll come across as fair. And that process continues right up to the age of my kids. Yep? Um, when you're talking about an example of a wide-margin Bible, yep. I struggle with taking away privilege because privilege is a wide-margin Bible. Yeah. No, no, good, good point. That they're, they're milestones 
And the way that I'm saying that you've got milestones as to how old you are in things like that, then have privileges and responsibilities that are also milestones. But yeah, the Bible, you don't want to be mucking around with taking away Bibles and hymn books. They're milestones that you're old enough now. They're not, they're not linked to anything in that regard. Yeah, good clarification. So, you know, with my kids, if they don't drive my car responsibly, they lose the privilege of being able to use my car. So the same principle applies all the way up to teenagers that they've understood as very small children. So... Are you tired of constantly reminding your kids to do things they should already be doing themselves? There is a better way. Training responsibility is an essential part of parenting. By responsible, we mean that our children follow through when we ask them to do something or take ownership of the task that we've given them. It also means they're reliable and can be depended on. Ultimately, we don't want to have to keep reminding, threatening or bribing them to do what they should already be doing. A helpful idea is to think of each job or responsibility as a monkey. When our children are small, we need to tell them many times what we expect or require of them, or what their responsibilities are. Reminding our young children is a little bit like carrying a small monkey for them. For example, when they ask for something, we might need to remind them to say please. Or when they're given something, they might need a bit of prompting to say thank you. That's okay when they're young because they're still learning and it's our job to teach them. But wouldn't it be frustrating to have to remind our 10-year-old every time they ask for something to say please or every time they're given something to say thank you? There needs to be a transition of ownership from parent to child. There needs to be some point at which our children take responsibility for their own words and actions. Or, to put it another way, there needs to be some point at which the monkey jumps from mum's shoulders to the child's shoulders, so it becomes their responsibility. As our children get older and grow bigger, so do their responsibilities. Annie, who's six, is expected to use common courtesies like please and thank you. By now she's also old enough to be trusted with keeping her room tidy, following the morning routine, and helping out around the house. Benjamin's just turned 12, so he can be given bigger responsibilities, like mowing the lawns or emptying the bins. Stretching our kids is part of our role as parents. We need to be regularly giving them new monkeys as they can handle them. I need to remind myself to do this, as often it's quicker and easier for me to do the job for them. It's much better to take the time to teach them and then hand over the responsibility when they're ready. It's also really important to encourage them as soon as they show responsibility in a new area. I don't know if you're like me, but too often I find myself reminding my children to do things they're already responsible for. We're going to be leaving in about five minutes, so can everyone please make sure that you've done your hair and you need to brush your teeth? Can you make sure your beds are made and your room's tidy? Oh, and everyone needs to have shoes on, ready to go, okay? Great, thanks. What's happening here is that I'm taking back the monkeys that I've already given away. The goal, and this is quite a challenge, is to leave the monkey with the child you've given it to. Once I've taught them what to do, 
then I can simply ask them, are you ready to go? It's then their responsibility to run through the list in their head and if there's something they've missed, they can quickly go and do it. I find myself doing the same thing. Often the kids will come to me and ask, Dad, can we please go on the computer or play outside? I run through the list. Is your homework finished? Is your room tidy? Are your jobs all done? Instead of the list, it's far easier to ask one simple question. Do you have the freedom? Do you have the freedom to go on the computer? That way, they have to think through their list of responsibilities and make the decision themselves. This is training them to be responsible. Once we've handed a responsibility or a monkey to our children and they choose not to use it, there needs to be a consequence. Let's say our younger children forget to say please when they ask for something. It's too easy for me to remind them to use their manners. Instead, what I found works well is to wait and not respond to their request until they remember to say please. Our children soon realise they've forgotten something and can then ask again politely. This also saves me having to say, what's the magic word, a thousand times a day. With older children, the consequences of not being responsible can include the loss of privileges, rather than us reminding them and taking back those monkeys. If their responsibility was something like emptying the bin, then the consequence for not doing that needs to be more than just making them empty the bin. The idea is to motivate them to remember the next time. Possibly the most difficult consequences to allow are the natural ones. I remember one day when one of our children forgot to take his backpack to school. That meant that he didn't have his shoes for sport and he didn't have his lunchbox. It took everything in me not to hop in the car and take his backpack to him. But I knew that his brother and sisters would share their lunch with him so he wasn't going to starve. And I also realised that the relatively minor discomfort he experienced would actually help him to remember to be responsible. It's far easier for children to learn responsibility at home when they're young, rather than later in life as adults. Once they leave home, they'll need to be responsible for their own health and finances, for their possessions and relationships. Lack of responsibility at this age can be very costly. As Christians, we also have a spiritual purpose for this type of training. One of our greatest desires is to see our children establish their own relationship with the Lord. Once they've made that decision, with God's help, they can learn to be responsible for their thoughts, words and actions. This is the ultimate expression of responsibility. Okay, yes, we're going to be going in about five minutes, so can everyone please make sure that they've done their hair and that you've brushed your teeth and you need to make sure that your room's are tidy and you've made your bed. Oh, and everyone's going to need shoes, so can you please all make sure that you've got shoes on as well? Okay, so, um, you know, as your children grow older, these responsibilities are going to become more meaningful. So, you know, being able to go out shopping or go out to supper with friends, but they have to be home at the agreed time or else they don't get to go out next time they're invited. So the aim for your children and teenagers particularly is that they, are, that they understand they're always privileges and never rights. And that way, there's always a responsibility 
and a maturity required in exercising those privileges. Because what we're doing in the coaching phase with our um, teenagers is transitioning them. And so our key tool becomes that which is our foundation plank, communication. And the thing I'm going to appeal to is that we have to make sure that we have time in our schedule. Don't be too busy to talk. And with teenagers, their schedules become pretty full pretty quickly. So we need to make, be aware of that. And, that you have, and you also have to make an effort with different children. So, for example, unlike girls who will generally communicate face-to-face, boys will communicate alongside. And they'll actually feel more comfortable communicating while they're doing something else. So we have to find time to take them fishing or get under the car with them or work on some hobby or project together. Take them camping, do the dishes with them. So generally that's how boys will open up to you and you can have a conversation with them. So boys want to be working alongside, girls are comfortable chatting over a hot chocolate. And children won't always initiate the conversation. So here's some really useful openers if you notice one of your uh, young adult children is upset. What happened? How do you feel about it? What are you going to do about it? Um, these questions are on page 70 of your handbook and there's also an even more detailed pointer list on page 72 of your handbook for talking to teenagers. So positive communication in your family, picking up on when they're upset and coaching them through their feelings and helping them to work through their issues. And there's other character attributes that you're going to be focusing with your children stage by stage as they grow older, using kind words, using manners, thinking of others. Some things are not for an, an individual child specifically, but they're sort of a whole family attribute. So how do we change as a group and develop the fruit of the spirit in our family? So one suggestion is to use family rewards to encourage positivity, growth and change. So, you know, start with small family celebrations. Make it a point that everyone rejoices with the one who rejoices. So Brother Bob Lloyd suggests that if one child wins an award, take them all out. Celebrate the family highlights as a family and create a fellow feeling between your children where they're pleased when each other does well rather than rivalry and competitiveness. Another thing we would do when transitioning to coaching to move on from the family rules and to encourage principles, we would have a chart on the fridge where, for example, anyone in the family could note down kind words that they heard others use to highlight that as a culture that we're trying to encourage. So there was an exercise going on uh, in the family. And so for a while, our whole fridge was covered with encouragement that we continually gave each other. And kindness, you know, you can have a bowl of marbles and a jar and each time someone witnesses a kind act in the family, they can get, you put a marble from the bowl into the jar. And when the jar's full, you have a family treat or reward. You know, and treats don't have to be lollies or amusements or going out to dinner. It could be visiting a wildlife sanctuary or a national park. And they, you know, don't even have to cost money. What about a family water fight? or building a blanket fort in the lounge room, or, or a family sleep in where you all drag your mattresses and sleep together in the lounge room. 
So, you know, enjoy the family that God's blessed you with. Have fun with them. And these are the memories and fun that build the fabric of family. I saw this somewhere. Um, Families. It's not just about sharing a last name. It's about sharing a life together. And while you're having fun, keep a mindful eye out for lessons. You know, your parenting purpose is to teach your children about God. And you don't just do that for a few minutes around the readings. We need to be switched on parents taking an active role rather than being laid back parents. And this brings me to the point of tying everything together with teenagers. We've talked about communication, conscience, consistency and the idea of coaching. And while they're all isolated, they're they're all key mechanisms, they're not isolated concepts, but they all are wrapped up in something. And that's your family culture your family identity. And so we've got an opportunity to think about what does our family culture consist of? Well, here's a start. I'll keep, I keep coming back to this because this was such a touchstone for our family. And it's so important with teenagers particularly that God's word needs to be seen in our hearts. There can be no hypocrisy with young people where we say one thing and in our lives live something else. So the, the Bible needs to be seen as our life manual. You want it to become their life manual. So as you become a... So always keep the reading sweet and light. Don't make them a, a burden. And as you grow in, into a family of teenagers, you're going to find that the schedule makes it difficult to fit the readings in. So in our family, I'd always read one of the readings aloud at breakfast as a good start to the day to all of us. So they're eating their breakfast and I'm just reading one of the readings. But these days you can get audio Bibles on your phone where you can download the, 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 the Bible and you can play it. The schedule's so full, you're taking them somewhere, just play a reading along the way in the car if you're that busy. The point is that we, take it, we make a point of taking in God's Word together and that we share the lessons from it as a natural part of our family life and make sure that we do, do make time to sit down and discuss moral purity and social issues with our teen like we discussed the other day but don't make that all our readings all the time but remember out of the bible come all the issues of life so we need to allow time for that to happen and the challenge of being a teenager is really that life is all about choices not just the choice of what you're going to wear or who you're going to be with but the big life choices what kind of person are you going to be What kind of job are you going to have? What do you believe? And you can't make these choices for your child, but you want them to make wise choices. So remember those privileges and responsibilities we talked about? Well, if your child's a teenager, hopefully they've learnt that they can make choice, but every choice has a consequence. Like not choosing not to put your bike away means you lose the privilege of riding down to your friend's house. And the real challenge is that teenagers don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, so they're really not great at seeing consequences. So one way to help our children in their growing prefrontal cortex and thinking ahead is that as parents, try as much as possible to cross the bridge of trouble ahead of time. So it starts when they're younger. We talked about preparing them, you know, coaching your children in the way. You know, you're on the meeting, on the way to the meeting, or to visitors, or if you're um, having people home for lunch on the way home, you're talking about what chores you need help with because the visitors are about to arrive. 
So as a parent, you're mentally preparing them for what's next so that they can respond more easily with the right mindset. So that's younger children. We talked about that. With older children, you also want to use your forethought to cross the bridge of trouble ahead of time because they've got trouble seeing the potential consequence in their still developing brains. So for example, when our children are older and off to youth groups or camps, you can use your past experience as a young person to communicate and build a relationship with them at the same time you're also preparing them for decisions and choices that they might have to make ahead of time. So you talk about looking out for those that youth group who might not have friends. You might talk about the, certain, the types of clothes that are appropriate for certain types of activities at camp. What would be appropriate, what wouldn't be. And who else there group they might have to consider feelings and sensitivities about certain things you know we might talk about what might happen when a group of boys get together in a new car and all these discussions might lead to new rules which I'll talk about in a minute but you know getting back to the idea of a readings that's a really good opportunity for discussions because there's lots of examples of young people making good and bad choices in there so you need to bring them out highlight them and discuss them with your young people. And so this talking of, uh, of God in the way, I've referred over the week as parenting in times of non-conflict. So, you know, you're setting the ground rules and having a discussion without anyone yet being emotionally invested in it. And this is a really important principle with teenagers. So getting back to young lads with cars, we had a rule after a discussion about what might happen with young lads in a car. We then had a rule that uh, while they're on the P's, the they couldn't use their car stereo while the car was in motion, on top of all the existing rules about how many friends are allowed in the car. And, you know, that was for safety, so there's no distracting buttons while they're learning <coughs> to drive. But it was also to keep things from getting carried away as a big group of friends in a car. And, you know, if you've got teenagers who are interested in someone that they've met interstate, it's, it's more helpful to talk about your expectations and what they are and getting their agreement in advance before they come and visit and not start trying to start setting restrictions in hindsight when they're already here and expecting compliance. So it's a similar principle to the five-minute warning that we try, often tried to use when they were, to help them when they were younger children in getting them ready to comply. Getting them ready to comply rather than getting them arced up and defensive about what they're already emotionally invested in and you're trying to come in and change. So as parents, we've got the benefit of a fully developed prefrontal cortex and the benefit of experience and godly wisdom. So we need to use these in forethought set the expectation and ground rules in times of non-conflict, when our children can talk about it rationally and, then, and that they're then prepared to comply rather than they're, when they're emotionally invested in it, the blood rushes to their prefrontal cortex, they don't have enough um, ability to control their emotions and they just get upset and frustrated. So along with discussing other daily principles as the need of having good friends, being true friends to them in return, the harmfulness of words, the way people might act towards you at school and the way that you could choose to act in response. 
You know, these kinds of conversations can all happen around God's word and are a core part of coaching our children. But getting back to family culture, you know, you've had an opportunity this week to think about the family that you're building together as parents. What kind of family environment are you creating? Hopefully you're working together on some ideas to build an interdependent family which will cultivate a sense of belonging in your children. And we spoke yesterday about the investment in the things that you do as a family cultivates a sense of ownership and directly influences their contribution to your family. Where if you create the fun times, they'll generally carry out their chores more willingly. And family times and holidays are a great time to introduce responsibility. So our children first learnt to wash the dishes with the camping cutlery when they were little. And when they were older, they first learnt to heat up simple meals in the same way. And then at home, they were then ready for it as a regular chore. And they were committed to doing it for the sake of the rest of the family because on holiday together, it showed them the value of family and it was their uh, and their contribution to it when they first learnt that chore. You know, I've got friends who travelled around Australia in a van and every child had a job as soon as they got somewhere. You know, the oldest had to set help with levelling up the van and setting that up and setting up the barbecue in the kitchen for the next one. But even, their, even the five-year-old, their job was to go and set up all the camp chairs. So, you know, camping or sailing like we did are great adventures. But with our young children, it just started with picnics and day outings when they're younger. But if we, as parents, value our family, invest in it, create fun experiences, our children will value and respond to it. So family identity and the good times are an investment in your, in your family. So it means something to the children. Else, as soon as they're 16 and have got a licence, they'll be off. Now, I started with Lisa and I this morning seeing teenagers in a way that surprised us because we'd never visualised teenagers acting in that way. So one of the things that we learnt was to have goals and aspirations for our children and for our family. What do you want your teenagers to look and act like in their behaviour? Well, if that's your end goal at adolescence, bring it back to 12. Where do they have to be? How responsible do they need to be in order to make that next step where you want them to be as an end goal, not too big a cliff, that they'll never make it to where you want? Then bring it back to nine. What do they need to be characterised by doing at six? Because, you know, parenting sometimes just happens amongst all the things we're scheduled to do. So my encouragement is to prioritise your family project, talk about it, discuss it and then go off and build it together with the end goal in mind. So the, you know, the Bible principles of loving God and loving others needs to be in the heart of everyone in the family. And the way that love for others is first shown is the children's contribution in the family. And the thing is that when they become teenagers, their contribution and commitment to family does not change it's just that their skill set's increased. So if you've never expected any contribution at all from a young child and then expect them to help out as a teenager, everyone's in for a rude shock, aren't they? So if you expect a child to prepare a meal by age 15, 
The stepping stone is at age 12, they should be able to boil the pasta and heat the sauce. If we wind back to the clock to age 9, maybe that they should be able to prepare a simple salad to go along with the meal. At 6, it might be setting the table and clearing away, and at 4, carrying the bowls and cutlery, or helping count the number of cups of flour or sugar into the cookie mix. And this is where your patience really kicks in. Because at a young age, you know, it's, it's far easier in the moment to do it yourself. But we need to take the long-term view and see that we're doing good for our child. Another example might be hall cleaning. At a young age, they're just toddling around with a feather duster. You know, actually not really contributing anything, but you're building the expectation that they are helping. So, you know, if they're a bit older, they can wipe down chairs and surfaces. Soon, they're able to help with vacuuming. Or when they're young adults like my children, you know, they're doing our hall cleaning and catering and my older son's doing my chairmanship while I'm here with you. So page 73 of your handbook is intended to help you with ideas uh, in that regard um, of how you can have some, there's some guides in there and if there's a link that links a lot of those activities through to a teenager in the skills they're developing. Um, so it's just an idea I grabbed from somewhere uh, for, for you, perhaps you to look at and think about. But as part of coaching, we need to be characterised as parents by fairness and respect. Remember, we're God to our children. And one of the common complaints about teenagers is that they lack respect. You know, actually, one of the issues is, like I said, they're, they're in this transition to adulthood and they desperately want to be respected as being grown up too. And it's often when they feel that they're not being respected that they can try to demand respect in confrontational ways. So we can demonstrate these qualities of God. So these, look at these um, qualities of being fair and just and God who's just, just and true. And in the future, we need to be just. So... This is where we get an opportunity to develop our characters now. So we can demonstrate these godly qualities by being fair and reasonable where we can and being flexible on occasion. So it's not about having arguments. It's about listening and understanding. And as long as the information is presented to you in a respectful way, you can listen respectfully and maybe make an adjustment or exception to certain requests or to, to certain rules or expectations based on that information. Uh, and now remember, we're not talking about young children here, but certainly by about age 12, you need to be starting to be seen flexible as the occasion demands. And then I expect them to be fair in return. So for example, I had a rule that they couldn't put me on the spot. If they wanted to do something that I was unsure of, I had the prerogative to say, sorry, you haven't given me enough time to think through your request, so it's a no this time, and next time ask me in advance, so I've got a bit of time to think about it. So as a result, now I usually get plenty of notice when they want to do something interesting. And the discussion ahead of time is all about being clear on expectations. Um, and, you know, there are occasions where, as our children grow older, they haven't particularly wanted to do something that we would have liked them to do. And you know what? We haven't insisted on it every single time. 
Because if it's just something that we would have liked them to do or preferred them to do and they didn't, we're not going to force it. We're not trying to break them to our will. We're trying to help them develop a conscience toward God. So, you know, we need to bring them alongside and help them outwork God's will in their life. But if there's something where we think there's a really good reason behind what we're saying, on those occasions, on those few occasions, we will insist and provide valid reasons for our children to understand. But this is teenagers that I'm talking about. So, and we can do that with our young adults because our children communicate with us respectfully. They discuss things openly with us as their mentors. And because we are characterised by listening and acquiescing to some of their requests, so in return, if we insist, generally they will acquiesce to us in return because the respect goes both ways. So we're talking about instead of letting them learn to argue, deliberately teach your children the skill of negotiation by your example and having them ask a reasonable request in a reasonable time that's reasonable for you to consider. So, you know, a typical request might be to extend a curfew past midnight because there's a friend over from Perth that they will want to catch up with over supper. That's an example of a reasonable request given ahead of time that I'd show fairness by agreeing to. And another part of your respect is you come along to your young uh, adults as a, a coach and you're going to recognise that there's times when you didn't quite react appropriately to your children. And with young adults, you can't brush it off or ignore it like it didn't happen. Remember, we're trying to influence by our relationship rather than by our discipline. So if we value that relationship and want it to remain strong, we need to apologise to them. You won't lose any respect from your children by apologising. In fact, you'll gain it. So we're not God. We do fall short as parents. However, we do strive to be godly and fair. So hopefully your children have heard you apologise to your spouse when the occasion arose that you were wrong. And now you're extending the same level of relational openness and showing that you place more value on your relationship with them than your position. So not only are we an example, but then we create an expectation for them to value the relationship and apologise to you and seek proper forgiveness, not just a flippant soz. You know, so our example of asking forgiveness is really important. And I want to conclude with godliness and spiritual development and thinking about godliness in our children. And I think the highest spiritual skill set that we can instil in our children other than conscience toward God is empathy. Make thinking of others part of your family identity. And remember, we're the example. So it's really important that when you have a strong family identity that you seek to include others in it, especially those without family that could really benefit from joining in with your games and activities. So we want to be inclusive, not exclusive. That's what the ecclesial family is all about. So you show empathy by example, your God to your children. And remember... The ultimate command, other than loving God, is to love others as yourself. So we need to teach children from a young age to think of others as they play with toys, as they grow older in their family with chores and responsibilities. It's all about thinking of others. To see things from their siblings' point of view 
and to see things from your point of view. And the aim of Bible discussions about scenarios of things that other young people did in their choices is for them to be able to learn to see things from other people's point of view. So, you know, have family projects where you think of others. Donate toys that they've grown out of. Write cards, collect bottles or scrap metal for agape in action. They're all ways of teaching our children to be other-oriented. And if we can teach our teenagers empathy, then we're going to have very little trouble with rebelliousness and selfishness. And think of all, we talked about this the other day, the empathetic things that believers are commended for in Christ's parables of the kingdom. A cup of water, food, clothing, visiting the sick. You know, they're all responses that are capable for your very young children to e- exhibit as well as your teenagers right now. So that's what we want to be teaching them. So my final point on the spiritual development of our teenagers, as well as teaching them empathy, we need to teach them to pray. And I'll share you with you what we did. So first of all, our children would regularly hear us pray about them by name, especially on their birthday. We'd thank God for them, uh, for looking after them and ask his blessing on them specifically. And when our children were really little, about five or six, you know, um, after the readings, I'd ask them what they would like me to pray to God about and they might just say, animals. So then... I'd say a prayer that would include the things that they said. So I might thank God for his creation and his marvellous creatures. So, you know, that's how they get an idea of how those thoughts get put into a prayer. When our children were older, around eight or nine, I'd change it so that I started with prayer and then I'd pause and we'd move around the room and they'd each say a bit. When, and when they stopped, the next person would start until it came back to, to me and I'd wrap it up and try and tie all those concepts together. You know, you can have a young child pray aloud and give their own thanks for a sandwich you've made them. And I've explained the holidays on the boat. What we started to do on one trip when the children were about in the, around about 15, we changed it again and we had a special holiday time where each member of the family took turns saying one of the prayers throughout the day. So that's how we thought we would teach our children to pray and learning the Lord's Prayer, saying that together at the end of the day, that's a really good uh, idea as well. So I hope that gives some ideas to spiritual development in your family, the responsibility you have as transitioning your children to be uh, children of God. So just that's it for... um, parenting teenagers, I've just got a a few minutes where, in conclusion, I want to tie together everything where we've been over the week. So if you could just freshen up, we've just got another five minutes. And I really need your attention because this is for the logical people. So some people, this is charts and it's going to be like, yeah, whatever. But there's some people where, hopefully, this everything we've talked about, I've tried to put in a logical structure. So maybe for those accountants that get discriminated against, this might really help. So, the summary of parenting teenagers comes back to our beginning statement with children. God's the moral authority and it's about transitioning us as the, uh, from us as the authority to the point where they understand 
that their own actions are in accordance with God's standard, not, not our standard. So it's about understanding where you are in the parenting process after recognising that it is a process. There's no instant answers here. And like everything godly, it's relational. So those key areas are built on the family foundations of love and trust. Right. So we talked about God as love. And the areas that we work on are communication, conscience and consistency. And we've talked about our project of parents to define what family looks like and to develop our unquestioned commitment to family. And along the way, we want to create a strong stance of family identity that the children can wear like a badge. They're a team, part of a team. So, you know, might be that we're the pitchers and we get dragged out sailing. That's our identity. But because you've demonstrated that family means something, the children respond. And so we have their commitment to the family culture and values. But it doesn't stop there because our children's contribution is dem- uh, to family is demonstrated... Sorry, the children's commitment is demonstrated to the, by their contribution, what they're bringing to the family and their service to the family and the, out to the ecclesia. So we started off with discipline or discipling but think about think about it like setting the child's direction we had the arrows in psalm 127 Um, we equated that to training plants or trees and it's crucial for the gaining of self-control in our children so we're teaching obedience in at this stage and that's what after that we move on to training where we expect obedience to be a given, but training's more outwardly being aware of others. And we're highlighting respect and kindness and more external responses in a child as they grow older and develop an awareness of others in their cognitive development. We're also developing that morally. And the key thing that when transitioning to training, we're giving moral reasons along with our instructions. We've talked about developing the conscience of a child. So that's the difference between discipline and training where we're trying to reach their heart, give them the moral reason why and develop in them a conscience. And then we're looking for opportunities to link a responsibility with a privilege to both motivate a child because they like being old enough to do things but also provides a training consequence where we can remove a privilege if they don't live up to that responsibility. And the key change to coaching is that we're seeking to get them to exercise their conscience, activating their moral warehouse, getting to draw out of their heart what you've put into it by asking, what do you think is the right thing to do? Because if you keep telling them what they should do, it can turn into a battle of wheels and then they can deliberately not listen just to prove how grown up they are. So that's the path we're on with our children. So in our family we can value, encourage and provide opportunities for our children's contribution, whatever their age. But in our young adults especially, we'll seek to activate their conscience, come alongside, ask what they think they should do, 
rather than telling them all the time. And we can help them to develop a spiritual prayer life and provide opportunities for them to be empathetic and contribute to others and encourage them to demonstrate their commitment to family through their contribution. So I'm hoping that wasn't too complicated and was a, 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 an easy to follow overview. And I know over the week I've packed in lots of tips and suggestions. I can't help myself and so we had a chart with arrows going in and out. But I hope I've been able to encapsulate your parenting journey in such a way that you can look at it in its entirety and say, yes, I can see where we're headed. And yes, I think I can see some decisions and changes uh, we could do to influence in a godly way our family. And hopefully you've now got another discussion topic as couples, not in just what you want your family to look like, but what do you want your teenagers to look like? And so put some steps and development plans in place to get, to, uh, to get them there. And it's my prayer that God would bless us to do our best to act like him in long-suffering, patience, and in faithfully parenting his heritage. So I want to come back to God's view of parenting to close. I said that God just requires committed and consistent parents. And you've demonstrated your commitment by being here this week and I hope that you've got some motivation and some tools and tips for consistency. So my prayer that I'll leave with you for all of us is that we fulfil our family potential and demonstrate our Heavenly Father's character to our children. Philippians 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this. This is what I'm sure of, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. And it's my prayer that your love as husband and wife may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve of what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that your families may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.